Hey everyone, this is Austin of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. I'm placing this message at the beginning of our first four episodes for future context and new listeners. These episodes are presented unedited, and in our first two episodes, some issues with our recording methods caused part of the beginning of the episode and part of the beginning of the back half to get cut off, and we sincerely apologize. In addition, name for our podcast was not nailed down until after the recording of the fourth episode, and that is reflected in the episodes. With that out of the way, please enjoy. Right this time. Welcome to the newest episode of Austin and David Watch Wrestling. That is, I'm Austin. That is me. I watch. I've watched a lot of wrestling. That is David. He has not watched any wrestling. I'm David. That is me. I have not watched any wrestling. No. And so we're gonna watch some wrestling later, and talk about it here on stream. Yes. All right. And yeah. so we got. We got. We. we we, we got our episode one done. You, the, you yeah. kind of get kind of gives you the formula of how we run this mm-hmm. thing. So yeah, uh, and so I'm gonna start with a little bit of a poem to set the mood for the evening. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, don't give us none of your aggravation. We had it with your discipline. Oh, Saturday nights, all right for fighting. Get a little action in. <laughs> Get about as oiled as a diesel train. Gonna set this dance alight. Saturday nights, the night I like. Saturday nights, all right, all right, all right. Ooh. Because tonight, today, we shall watch the October 3rd, 1987 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. So now I get to explain what that means and go into a deep, a way too deep history into wrestling to understand how that happened. So, ooh, Spooktober. Y- we're, we're, yes. we're, we're, we're month appropriate today. Oh, we are. I sh- ooh, there. Uh, oh, because there are Halloween themed shows of wrestling, and most of them are shitty. But you know, they're also pay per views, so they're kind of long. But now for Spooktober, nothing mm. spookier than bad wrestling. Yes. Um, but anyway, uh, Saturday night's main event. Uh, Saturday night's main event was <clears throat> WWE having a, a semi-regular show, like special event shows on NBC. And this is kind of significant, is that this is one of only, from what I can think of, three different times where wrestling was broadcast on over the like over-the-air broadcast network TV. The first time being the 1950s, kind of the dawn of TV. That was one of the er- wrestling was one of the early like um, popular shows on old TV because you know it was also cheap content to make. You just got to take a camera and go film the local wrestling show. The second time is this time now in the mid 1980s, and the third time is right now. WWE airs Friday Night SmackDown on Fox right now. So, ooh. So Saturday night's main event kind of came about because basically right now WWE is kind of in the middle of its one of its it's one of its biggest boom periods of all time. In the mid 1980s uh basically they got Hulk Hogan is at the his peak popularity. They're getting sh- they're teaming up with uh celebrities like uh Mr. T and Cindy Lauper. They're getting show they're doing shows on MTV and this is like a real brush with um, pop culture relevance for WWE. 
And then 1987 is kind of like dead smack in the middle of this. They're, they got a show. For Vince McMahon is good friends with Dick Ebersol, and he's got a show on NBC doing monster ratings, by the way. Like, so, like one of these shows is one of the most watched wrestling shows of all time. And if we watch a, if we watch a second episode, which I have queued up, but we don't know if we're going to do that for time purposes, it is the most watched episode of wrestling television ever at 33 million viewers. <clears throat> Ooh. So like, they're they're going nuts, and basically, right about this is the dub is. Uh, I guess I wanted to give a little bit of history is how WWE got so popular so fast, <laughs> and so basically, what happened is is that uh, back in the olden times, before the mid nineteen eighties, is wrestling was super regionalized, or as I like to call it, a car. It was a cartel because it was dominated by uh, the National Wrestling Alliance, <clears throat> which was basically. All the local in local like regional major wrestling promoters. I'm not going to list them all off. It's not relevant right now, but there was a lot of them all across the country. Uh, the Ohio, unfor- the Ohio actually didn't have a major uh, um, wrestling gr- company at the time. It kind of followed with Georgia Championship Wrestling. But again, just thought that was a fun fact to say. But anyway, these guys basically all got together and were like. What if we, instead of trying to be directly competitive with each other, we all kind of stay in our own lanes, we can swap talent, we can all make money, and the big thing, and the big, um, the big, but the big thing they all decide on was the NWA world champion, who is, who would be a traveling performer. He would be a champion all across the country, and all the regional shows would have their own regional champions, and people step up to fight the NWA champion. But yeah, I call it a cartel because they all uh, agreed. They all conspired to not compete against each other and just stay regionally, kind of stay regional monopolies. <laughs> and then Vince McMahon Jr. Sure. Yeah. And then Vince McMahon Jr. came along and was like, fuck that though. <laughs> when he took over the w, the WWF as, as at the time, the World, Re- the World Wrestling uh, Federation. Which uh, they changed to WWE because mm-hmm. in the early 2000s, the World Wildlife Fund sued them over that. And they lost, so they just, they changed their name. And <clears throat> But they're the WWF, and Vince, and Vince McMahon, he sees this, he sees that, uh, t- for, that, like, uh, that he has a real opportunity here. He's got the money and the resources, and he all just, to, to kind of get started, because he was in charge of the, WWF was in the New York market. Like their home, like if they had a, a had a, if they they had like a home stadium, it's Madison Square Garden. So he's in a really good market on on its own. He's already in a pretty powerful position uh, financially, but he sees an opportunity to go national to kind of be a nationwide company. Um, and so he kind of tells the NWA to fuck off. He's going to do his own thing now. And it works for a couple of reasons. Is first of all, Vince McMahon is a ruthless businessman at heart. <clears throat> there are so there are plenty of stories from the era of him just like he would go, he would like contact every member of a, of a company's roster, and he would pay to buy out all buy all their contracts out. A whole roster, top guys, jobbers, don't care. I'll sign them and leave you with nobody. Fuck you. 
And he would go to uh, yeah. he would go to TV. He would even go to TV providers and be like, "Oh, hey, I see that you're uh, you got um, I see you you got this wrestling show on here. Uh, I will let you broadcast. You can broadcast my show for cheaper. You'll get better and you'll get better ratings and make more money." And he he undercut him like that. <clears throat> and so that was part of it. Is that he was ruthless and he's going to destroy every. He's going to destroy the NWA piece by piece. The other thing was is also is that a lot of them, the second thing is part of what made this so successful is this is right around the like time when like net cable TV is blowing up. Like he jumped on him like he and he he got WWF in that MTV train like right when it for when MTV was really exploding in popularity. Like he got like getting Cindy Lauper during the during went during the girls just want to have fun phase and getting Mr. T aligned during the dur- when he was on the A team was kind of huge. Damn. And then That's and then the, nuts. oh yeah, it is the thing. It is nuts to think about because WWE doesn't brush up with like at real pop culture very often. So when they do, it kind of can get pretty wild. Um, real pop culture. I mean, yeah, like the, the, WWE is, doesn't have its finger well, on. No, I mean, I mean, I mean yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's kind of like what we talked about last week. Where mm-hmm. It's kind of like living in its own little bubble. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. It's, it's usually pretty like niche, that. and it's funny to. And then I guess the third thing is to be fair, it's not just like WWE just ran in there and killed all of all of them. Some of it was self inflicted wounds, um, because kind of the way that the the land, the business landscape was going. It was going to go national, probably one way or the other. And some of these old timer wrestler wrestling promoters, you know, they weren't ready for that, or they didn't really know how to make the adjustment. Mm-hmm. And so, from being a regional show to being like a national show, and they just kind of fell apart. Yeah, he didn't kill all of them. And if we ever do any a show outside of WWE from around this time, I'll probably talk more about that. But he effectively did become the national brand for sure. And so, yeah, so that's kind of like how we got to where we are now where he's on NBC. Uh, Oh, I did forgot to say is that three years in 1985, he kind of really explodes with WrestleMania, which was the first, which was a a, um, closed circuit show. And it did bangers numbers that was headlined by Hulk Hogan and Mr. T in a tag team mat tag teaming together in a tag team match. It did again, did bonkers. And so WrestleMania, but then skip ahead to 87 is WrestleMania. And this kind of ties into where the players are at this, where the may, who the major players are at this point, 1987, the big feud was Hulk Hogan versus Andre the giant. Oh man! Because you're in for uh, heel Andre on this show. He had just he had in for the Hogan feud. He had turned heel. They basically did this story where Hulk Andre the Giant was undefeated for 15 years. This is obviously that is actually made up bullshit. He's lost plenty of times, but not part of the story. He's undefeated his whole career, and he's never been WWF champion because he he was he because he was friends with Hogan. He didn't want to be like. He didn't want to take the guy. He didn't want to take Hogan's championship. So he was polite about it. But yeah. then the villainous Bobby Heenan, who was who was a manager, who was one of the major managers at the time, and he he got in Andre's ear and told him, "This you you 
Like you're you're Andre the Giant. You're unbeaten for 15 years. You deserve to be champion, not Hogan. Bobby Heenan was obsessed mm-hmm. with beating Hulk Hogan and take and ta- and having one of his clients take the championship away from him. And this was his newest ploy to do so. Ooh. Is to is to sit is to sick Andre the Giant on him. And it was a pretty intense feud. And it culminated at WrestleMania three in the main event, where the story was, man, can Hogan do it? Can he slay the undefeatable giant? And it's one of the more iconic images in WWE lore. Is at the end of the match, Hulk Hogan picks up Andre the Giant, all five hundred pounds of him, and slit and body slams him, and is able to get the win one two three and beat the unkillable giant. Oh my god. I don't know if we'll ever watch that match because it's honestly not great, but it is a fantastic like moment in time to watch and see is like for historical relevance for sure. And so do- Hulk Hogan's still the yeah. WWF champion at this point, but Andre still wants a piece of that gold. And um, I guess a little bit of a spoiler for where this is going in case we do the second episode is that Andre eventually drops mm-hmm. Bobby Heenan because, you know, Heenan's not getting him anywhere. And instead, he aligns himself with yeah. the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase, his gimmick is All exactly right. what you think it is, to be honest. He is a, he is a, a rich asshole. He's, um, and he would, ha- he, he kind of got bigger in doing, in kind of like doing, making the audience do degrading things for money, except he'd screw them out of the money while they're doing it. The, probably the most famous of these scenes what? is he brings out this little kid and he's like, if you dribble this basketball 10 times, I will give you a hundred dollars. And the kid dribbles the ball one, two, three, four, and he gets to nine. And then DiBiase kicks the ball out from under him before he can dribble it a 10th time. And then he's like, oh, well, sorry, too bad. (laughs) Tough luck, kid. (laughs) Oh, no. No, he was an asshole. (laughs) That's awful. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, that's terrible. No, he do shit like that. And so he's in, he's, he, he has his own sights on becoming WWF champion. Um. I will say is that this episode, at least one, both these episodes, but especially this one, uh, we're going to see get to see some problematic racial, uh, racial uh, representation here. Uh, in Ted DiBiase's case, he oh, had no. he had a, a black man as a manservant named Virgil. Oh no! And he he spends his whole time breaking Virgil and treating him like crap and making him do stu and making him wait on him hand and foot and it's all very uncomfortable to look back on in any way. <laughs> uh, now this did end up paying off into a story where Virgil finally doesn't take this abuse anymore, but that's like years away from that from right now. So we just get to see him just be the loyal servant. Oh, God. Um, yikes. Yeah, big yikes. So that's kind of the WWF championship scene at this time right now. It's basically Hulk Hogan. He's, he's, he's not defending against Andre in this first episode, but that is his, his primary like rival at the time. And so, and then the next Mm -hmm. thing to talk about is the intercontinental championship, which at this time was the number two championship in WWE. The time this time there was only three belts: it was WWF Championship, the Intercontinental Championship, and the Tag Team Championship. 
And the Intercontinental belt was kind of was like was was truly like the number two belt. Like it it was a big deal to be the Intercontinental champion. It's you were the number two guy. And so right now the Intercontinental champion is the Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> the Honky Tonk Man. The Honky. Yep. His gimmick is he's an Elvis impersonator who is either too dumb or too arrogant to under to understand that he's doing an Elvis impersonation. Like he genuinely believes he, he genuinely believes he's an original talent and super talented, and he doesn't see the parallels despite dressing like Elvis, do talking like Elvis, and having Elvis's hair. <laughs> he doesn't ever understand when people are like, you know, you look like Elvis, right? And he's like, who? Oh God! He's actually kind of funny, but he's also a cheating dickhead asshole who never wins straight up. He always cheats to win. <laughs> And so he's the inter- Fair enough. Yeah. So he's the Intercontinental Champion. And right now his biggest rival, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Because old Randy, Randy Dang, we got all the big guys around. I know here. we do. I was like, oh man, there's not a whole lot of major players in these episodes, but the ones we do have, they are like these are legends to talk. Dang. So the Macho Man Randy Savage, it's kind of his ascent in WWE. Uh he'd really They'd always kind of tr- always kind of thought treat him as a big deal, but he kind of broke out at WrestleMania three when he has when his champion his championship match with then champion Ricky Steamboat. Actually, excuse me, no, he was the Intercontinental Champion mm-hmm. at the time, Ch- and the challenger was Ricky Steamboat. And like a lot of people, like you're going to see a lot of people like talk about that match as one of the greatest of all time because like, and it was a really good match, and it was basically like the first time in WWE mm-hmm. had a super athletic kind of match like that. Because right now in WWE, they yeah. at this point in time, they're kind of like they're trying to be the land of the giants. These big, tall, muscly, steroided up men, even though they didn't admit to that at the time. They're they're doing the roids. Yeah. They're out there. They're there to do punches and strong stuff. But they're not super like athletic or fast or anything like that. And Steamboat and Savage are both incredible athletes yeah. in that way. And so the match they were putting on for WWF in the 1980s was like mind blowing to see dudes do this kind of stuff in a match. And so that was kind of his breakout moment. Now he's kind of on the con- he's trying to get the Intercontinental title back from now the Honky Tonk Man who beat Ricky Steamboat for it. Yeah, and. This is kind of his, is, is his, he will eventually be a top tier like WWF champion in the company. And this is part of his rise to being that. Um, I don't know how much of a, of a role mm-hmm. it plays, but I guess it is important to say like his character at this point is based. He's, I think he's kind of heelish. He's always been kind of heelish because, especially because like his, his, a big character trait of his is that he has his manager, Miss Elizabeth who is his real life wife and that's why he he accompanied he was his she was his valet but on screen there was a at this time a purely professional role but he was always kind of abusive to her like he'd he'd talk over her he'd sometimes physically pull her around including in front of like when he was a full-blown heel he would do the move where like a guy was trying to hit him and he'd pull liz in front of him because because the baby face isn't going to hit a woman, so he can't. They can't hit Savage. Like he was a dick, and that was kind of the story. Is like you hate Savage because you want see what how he acts to he treats Elizabeth, and you're like, 
Elizabeth deserves better, please. <laughs> like, she needs to get away Jesus. from Jesus. But, like, as he started to, as they started to pull the baby face turn, they really uh, downplayed a lot of that, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah, Jesus. Oh, yeah, no. So, but otherwise, yeah, Macho Man is kind of what you'd expect in that he is super loud and yells a lot. <laughs> but he, which is, which kind of covers a lot of what wrestling, yeah, yeah. When, when it comes to like wrestling promos of this time, especially at the top, that was what a lot of that was, is big muscly guys yelling. <laughs> but you, but you bought into it. I'm real. I don't know for sure, but I'm yeah, really yeah. hoping one of Hulk Hogan's cocaine, clearly cocaine fueled rants, is on this show <laughs> because they're some of my favorite from this era. With my all time favorite always being at WrestleMania four, with which was at Trump Plaza, and he talks about how he's going to body slam Andre the Giant through a fault line and call in 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 uh, Atlantic City. And he's going to cause an earthquake and it's, and it's going to cause mass flooding and Donald Trump is going to be hanging on for dear life. And he's going to give up all of his material possessions to save his family because by God, he is a Hulkamaniac brother, (laughs) which was absurd nonsense to say even in 1988, but now it's even funnier. And it's just, it's fun times to listen to Hulk yeah. Hogan ramble on about like this. So hopefully he rant, uh, he rants raves like he does in this episode. Uh, Macho Man, Macho Man does that too. He also is, he also yells and screams. But, you know, naturally. But he's super charismatic and everybody loved it. So, um, I guess I'll say that the tag team what got him a got him a, a beef jerky commercial, a beef jerky commercial deal. Oh yeah, step into a slim gym. Oh yeah. <laughs> also, also love doing uh, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage impersonations. They're super easy to do. So oh 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 man oh wait I oh Hulk Hogan oh no anyway oh yeah we're gonna um, we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna slam them I'm gonna sl- listen here dude gonna slam the big giant brother he's gonna go down one two three for the leg drop Um, and then i'll tell my then i'll tell my daughter uh, you can't date black guys look this this is i'm sure this this is a an irrelevant side story that that Mm -hmm. uh that we will i will divulge to our audience in full at a later i think i know partially partially where this is going and i want it to go there i all i'm all i'm all i'm going to say all i'm going to say is the name hulk hogan has been uh, eternally uh, um, tainted for me um, mm. due to a very bizarre patron at one of my jobs, um, and I I get very I I just kind of made the connection. Oh wait, yeah, this guy exists, and we're watching a Hulk Hogan match. Oh no! Oh yeah, it's gonna be just, great. Yeah, yeah. It, again, that that'll be some hashtag bonus content for later on. I'll explain my Hulk Hogan. Yeah, but. Uh, but the name Hulk Hogan gives me like like Vietnam flashbacks. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it's also a good. I guess I forgot to mention that is that yeah, we are actually watching Hulk Hogan wrestle, and that is a big deal at this time because basically the way it worked is that ba- at the time uh, WWF their big money wasn't on TV; it was on the live on like the like ticket sales on the live shows. 
So the so for in terms of like weekly television that you could watch at the time, Hulk Hogan ain't wrestling no shows, brother. You gotta pony up the money to see Hulk Hogan wrestle. Base it was uh, basically the oh. main show at the time was called WWF Superstars, and basically what you'd see is like you'd see like an every match was like a named wrestler that you care about and a jobber. And then it ba- all the matches go like less than five minutes, and they and the named guy wins easy. The end. And like there'd be interviews and stuff, okay. like story advancement. But when it comes to like getting to see the champ, no, you got to pony up for the light for the t- to buy a ticket to go see the champ wrestle. You got to buy a pay per view to see him wrestle, of which there was only like two or three a year at this point. Or Saturday night's main event is when he would do that. He would wrestle. He would wrestle big matches on the NBC special. So this was like the only time on free TV that he was going to wrestle. So that was in itself a big deal. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, that's crazy. It's an absolutely. It's weird to think back on because uh, when obviously when I've come into being a wrestling fan, long by the mid nineteen late nineteen nineties, they had shifted their perspective and it was all about TV, TV, TV. Get TV ratings. So like all the big stars wrestled or appeared every week. Like it stopped being like this weird special occasion to see the best of the best get in the ring. And by now, it's just that's just the way it is. Is that all the major champions are going to have a weekly presence as opposed to back in the day. And, you know, there's differing opinions on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. All right. So I think that that is everything I wanted to talk about in terms of the WWF in 1987. And so I think we're ready to uh, go ahead and and pause this stream for a little bit and get to watching uh, some old timey wrestling, which I'm excited about because I've never seen these shows myself. I know about the big moments that come out of them, but I have never actually watched them. So this is, this is a new experience for me as well. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm really excited now. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I'm going to Outstanding. Spot. Yep. We're going to end the stream here and come back in just a little bit. October 3rd, 1987. <laughs> and I got to say, kind of an interesting All right. poem, you know? Yeah, that... I. Mm-hmm. There, there was a lot. Um, it, it's, um, um, I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm trying to find a good way to like put it into words, but like mm-hmm. the, it, like, like after, after last week, which was kind of my introduction to all of this, mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the, the wrestling world, um, it kind of, it kind of brought me up to speed with how it feels relatively in the modern day. Yeah. And then we jumped, we, this time we jumped back a good 25 years. Cause mm-hmm. like, cause last week was from like 2011, right? Uh, it's 2013 yeah. to 1987. Um, okay. 2013. So 26 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so jump back, jump back a little less than three decades. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden everything is very different. Um, it's got a, it's, I mean, first of all, it's got a very eighties feel to it. Uh, oh yeah. Jeez. Um, it's between like, like the, the camera quality itself. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the way people are dressed, um, the way they do the promos uh, in front of that kind of like curtain setup. Um, um, it's it's very it 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 feels very of its time. That WWE, I mean, uh, from uh, in this case WWF, um, the, it seems like it's it seems like it's always kind of very good at feeling of its time, even if as we discussed last week, it kind of lives in its own little bubble of culture. I would I would agree with that as um because especially because I think about it is is we'll eventually watch a show from the late nineties because that's the other big boom period in in the in the company's history so you can't just not ignore that too and it feels very nineties and and arguably that is when WWE has been its strongest in terms of mainstream popularity is a real ability to kind of like understand what the audience what to the audience of that time period wants to see. And, and kind of making its yeah, um, well, presentation fit in that time. Well, um, and obviously we'll cover this when we watch the 90s thing, but mm -hmm. um, what fascinates me is you talking about the 90s as like a transitionary period because mm -hmm. um, for as much as some of this feels similar, mm -hmm. there are also just some... There's a certain there. There's a certain je ne sais quoi to it that makes it feel very, very, very different and very mm -hmm. detached from um, what we kind of see today. Um, I mean, I think part of it's just kind of like the the, pre, the the aesthetic presentational aspects between like the camera quality and like, like literally, you know, it's, it's not it's, as high it's, tech it's and in, stuff. Yeah, they would not go to being high definition until the mid two thousands. So, uh, so like this is standard yeah. definition. TV. But like, but that being said, like, um, I can't, I can't even fully describe it, but something about the pace, something about the tone, mm -hmm. something about the way it's all presented, um, f feels deeply different. Mm -hmm. Um, like, I, I, I think it's kind of what we were talking about during the show of, mm -hmm. it's not like you have, you have a person go, go out and do these kind of like long-winded Shakespearean monologues to the audience. Mm -hmm. They're there with a guy in a tux in front of like a, a set of pink curtains, um, <laughs> giving a, giving a promo, giving a mini interview. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and um, I don't know the, um, it kind of creates this difference in pacing. Whereas, um, um, a WWE episode today, like we watched, uh, like we watched last week, it's a, it's almost like, it's almost like a linear episode. It's like, a, it's like an episode of, of like primetime TV with a linear <clears throat> plot. Like there's an A plot, there's a B plot, um, there's stuff going on, but whereas this, it feels very different. It feels very, um, everything is given its own like little distinct, um, uh, corner of the of the episode to do its thing in like they'll 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 reference and they'll interact a little bit but there's not like a there it doesn't feel like mm -hmm. a through line it's um, very it's very segmented and 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 in it's in its um approach yeah and i i yeah. do think that, um which is which is fascinating. and I, I think part of that is like Go ahead. what what how they saw tv at the time i think affects the way that they write tv and especially because as I, I mentioned on the pre-show is that like back in these times, it's about, it's not necessarily about having a uh, telling a story on TV. It's more about, well, they're, they are, they are telling a story, but it's not like 
they treat it like the TV is an avenue to get you to go to see the shows. The TV isn't inherently a, a isn't its own kind. It's it's different from now where like TV is the main drive is the, the only driving narrative force. If you, one thing you might say now is if you go to a local, if you go to an untelevised show now, nothing will happen. Like they'll wrestle matches, but nothing important is going to happen because it's not on TV. Whereas here they'll save stuff off of t- match up matches off of TV for the most part so that you can put, keep them for the mm-hmm. live crowds for the untelevised shows. Cause that's where they made their money. And so if you're not really looking at it as like telling these narratives through television on television, and it's more of a way to like sell, sell your audience on a show that they'll go, they'll pay money to see. It's not free. Then. Yeah, I guess it, it kind of makes yeah. sense to kind of do these more segmented, like they're doing these, these interviews and then they're going to have their match and then they do another interview and, and that's kind of back and forth. Well, um, kind of what um, when you when you were talking just now, um, how how they portray their show, how they write their mm-hmm. segments, um, mm-hmm. to you to your mind feels reflective of how the writers saw the TV of the day, and mm-hmm. I I think about that, and I think of what I think about what you said at the beginning of the show of the eighties was almost a time of of these characters and and these kind of setups feeling very reminiscent of a Saturday morning cartoon and, and kind of how they present, like whether that be a mm-hmm. uh, honky tonk man, just being this very, very silly, deeply silly character. <laughs> yeah. Deeply silly. Um, like, like straight up like him or like the heart brothers or, um, the heart stuff foundation. like that. Yeah. Um, the heart foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, they play they they read in a sense like saturday morning cartoon villains um mm-hmm. the hard foundation especially with kind of how they do like that silly like distract the ref one and the other goes and like mm-hmm. does a dirty cheap trick thing um and i kind of wonder like why was that like the 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 kind of cultural um the the cultural pulse that was latched on to like uh, trying to emulate that that vibe um, because it kind of feels like that because if you have like a Saturday morning cartoon or something like something like like a like a Warner Brothers cartoon, mm-hmm. they each have their own individual segments. Like mm-hmm. they'll share characters and they'll share yeah. they'll share like they'll probably though they might sometimes have callbacks from one to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they they're the they're each their own standalone story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't. I still don't know nearly enough about wrestling in this area to, to kind of put my finger on why, but mm-hmm. that that's kind of what it feels like to me of, for some reason, that's what they latched onto. I think you made a very apt comparison there. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, it's, it's very, it's very interesting. It also, and also um, what I'm really trying to like get at in my mind that I can't, I still can't quite like put my finger on is um the the very polished contemporary feel of what we watched last week versus the slightly more like I I don't want to say faster pace because because last week's episode was like fast paced too but like the mm-hmm. way it's presented like the 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 segments feel I don't like less I don't want to say like more nonchalant but like some of the stuff like like the the Heart Foundation squaring off against those two randos at the as as the end of the show yeah the young guy felt a lot different weirdly. than. 
It feels weird. Well, it's weird because to me, for some reason, it it feels a lot different. It felt a lot different than like um the one Irish dude doing the, like the two v one, or even the um or even like the 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 like country singer whatever or the rock star um guys versus um versus uh, oh uh what's his face yeah. Jerick yeah Chris Jericho mm -hmm. um for so something about it feels different and I don't know if it's like just because the new stuff feels like like more contemporary more polished and this feels rougher around the edges but something about mm -hmm. it I can't quite grasp at it is different to me mm -hmm. I mean, I, th I think that could be it. Is it like, that's another thing is, is that, you know, it's, it's very, it is for as much as it's very stylized and, and eighties, it's, it's still very rough in a lot of ways mm -hmm. that wrestling just was, it always has been, it always had been. Is it, is if you, if you look at a show from this time that isn't WWF, it's the same, it's the same gruff and gritty kind of appeal, but without any of the glitz, without the same glitz to it. Yeah. But it's funny too because, um, and and I, I I don't like mean to make to turn this whole post show into like compare and contrast like segment. But no, I think um, it's an interesting it's funny discussion. Because, like, the 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 cartoony the the cartoony nature of mm -hmm. kind of what we watched this week um, versus um, I don't it like like what we watched last week feels like like WWE's version of grimdark basically mm -hmm. of like you know we're in the we're in like the 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 post dark night era where our superheroes mm -hmm. are are rough and tumble uh mm -hmm. and gritty and realistic um where and, and you know back in the 80s oh, you're these, gonna are, get these are Saturday morning these, cartoon hero and, heroes and villains um but it's what it, but it's an interesting dichotomy because because on the flip side um for as much as like, uh, if it, it feels in a way like modern WWE is trying to go for a bit more like realism, a bit more groundedness, mm -hmm. it's it's got this very shiny polish to it that makes it very obviously like that makes it very obviously fake. Whereas this, it's very it's it's cartoony, but something about like the 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 fact that it's rough around the edges and the fact that that segments feel almost kind of like rushed into, mm -hmm. um. It, it it takes away kind of that that kind of outward stylized like theatricality framing device aspect to mm -hmm. it and just plows it through as as like um as like fighting with a narrative but with, with a with like a, a stringy narrative behind it is it's it's an inter it's a very interesting dichotomy to me mm -hmm. and that's that's that this is the kind of stuff that like not not in quite as, as highfalutin terms as, as we're talking about here, but this is the kind of stuff that people talk about all mm -hmm. the time. Like I like when you talk when I see people online talk like older fans who remember at least older than now, more before my time of starting mm -hmm. being a fan, they'll talk about how like part of what they don't like about WWE anymore is like how as how like glitzy and hyper and like the HD nature of it and how like clean it all feels if that for to them it loses it a little bit because it feel like that to them it adds to the mm -hmm. fakeness of it all in a way that older wrestling in the in the pre-hd days di doesn't so then well then my question is 
why does that why do the why does the fakeness matter to them because it seems like because from what we discussed last week um it seems uh, you know we talked about kind of like that that mm-hmm. social contract of we know this is fake mm-hmm. but we're gonna buy into it because um because it's symbolic of something bigger mm-hmm. so so like at what point does that become a turnoff for those older wrestlers do you like do you, do you have any pulse on that or like or um, those older fans i mean I mean, older wrestlers too. I think if some of them have complained about this kind of thing. But, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm but sure. I, them I'm sure. too. But you know, I th- I think it's a little where different than anybody. It's I think it's all part of like where their suspension of disbelief is willing to be, and not just in not just in terms of like mm-hmm. the content they see on their screen on the screen, but also the way it just all feels from the way that it's mm-hmm. stylized. And like for some pe and for some people like. Even if the co- even if the content is obviously, you know, is is not not very much on the level, as you might say, um, they're e- they could more easily buy into it in these older in these older days when it's more it's a little more gritty and it feel and it feels a little more real than in today yeah. where where the 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 hyper realistic like styling just kind of accentuates how much this isn't re- actual fight this isn't legitimate f- combat wait okay i just had i i just i might i might have just had an epiphany of maybe what i've been trying to wrap my head around here because mm-hmm. um i i mentioned i mentioned to you earlier in tonight's show about how um in some respects it others it feels a lot more fake mm-hmm. um and I was I was really really thinking I was like I, I I've been thinking about that and I've been like I, I I'm, I'm like why why is that like why do I prefer kind of that contemporary style, um, and I think what it is, uh, like or, or what 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 may trigger that kind of difference in suspension of disbelief because because I, I like what I what I've been struggling with is why. Uh, I say like what I've been struggling with. This is yeah. like the deep philosophical question. This is, I've been asking this is the hardest instead question. of just like the past like hour and a half. Um, <laughs> no, but like, but like, I don't know. These questions like consume me. Um, mm-hmm. What like like when we were watching this, what I was kind of struggling with was like was like um, the contemporary nature of of like the newer stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, while it feels very, it, while it feels very theatrical. Um, there there's an emotional core to it um that sucks you in like we talked about last week with with the mm-hmm. uh, with the re- the fake retirement and with um with kind of the idea of like who these outlandish characters represent um whereas in in what we watched this week it it, it was a lot more like it was a lot more simplified um and it's it's it feels kind of more surface level um mm-hmm. kind of more um you, you know, like like the archetypes aren't don't run quite as deep. They definitely um, do not. You know, quote they're, unquote they're deep. Much, like this is definitely like an era like, of like, time. like it's either. This is definitely a time where the good guys are the good guys, and they are they are um, morally good in all ways, or or claim to or are claimed to be anyway. Yeah. Or and the bad and guys are all cheating, are like, all right? evil, cheating dickheads who laugh maniacally at their own evil yeah and that and and ironically that was the part that felt less real to me that that Mm -hmm. that that simplicity that simplicity felt less real what felt more real was the fighting itself um 
like like something about like the way the camera angles were something about the way it was all set up blah 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 mm -hmm. it i don't know why but something about it just felt a little more authentic than what we watched last week and mm -hmm. i'm th and i'm thinking about it thinking about it and i think i realized maybe that's suspension of disbelief that that that, that the older fans felt for for what was there back in the 80s or whatever i almost wonder if the fast-paced nature has something to do with that like mm -hmm. like like on a whole, the narrative itself is very is very basic and very obviously staged, and like these are mm -hmm. very obviously people playing parts. Like, yeah. like the line doesn't feel as blurred. Mm -hmm. Um, but it moves so quickly from one thing to another that it tricks your brain. Uh, mm -hmm. it might trick your brain into thinking like, um, like there, like it doesn't give you enough time to process kind of the 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 fakeness from one thing to the next mm -hmm. because boom we're just going into the next fighting segment and and the the little quote unquote character moments are a lot more kind of interspersed with that mm -hmm. um so i i think i i wonder if that might have something to do with it um yeah i mean i think that's a that's a good idea you know it's it's i i it's kind of hard for me to speak very well on this is because i struggle a lot to identify with uh wrestling the same way from this era of time like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a thoroughly modern wrestling fan and, and like this, like the stuff from the, from what, like we watched last week, like to me, that is where like my jam is and where like I really get wrestling and where is this time period and the late nineties too is, is I, is I can appreciate a lot of aspects of it and I can understand why people got so into it the way they did. But it's harder for me to personally yeah. feel the same level of connection and like get like get hooked on it in the same way. And like maybe if I had if I had been uh, uh, seventeen or whatever in nineteen eighty seven, this that would have it would have felt more natural to me to buy into it the same way. But like me in twenty who who is who, me now and who I am in this time period, I just can't get into it the same way. So it's hard. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm right there with you. I, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I think I prefer the contemporary style here. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think I'm right there with you, um, because I like things better when they're more drawn out and you can have more of that emotional connection to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, which is uh, a and, bit of a, and I almost is, wonder like, which is if, a bit of a hot take to have in the wrestling fandom, because especially because the fact that, you know, you look at, uh, WWF was super popular around this time. It was super popular in the late nineties and it hasn't ever been as popular in any other time period is so you get a lot of fans who were fans then. And so like to say that, like, you know, wrestling in a post 2012 world is like, that's my jam and not like this old stuff that is considered critically as critically acclaimed as like the best rest WWF wrestling. It is a little bit of a controversial take to kind of have that attitude, but that is what I have. Well, I well I can I can understand why, mm -hmm. um, because it's it's got that feel that things had in the eighties mm -hmm. when they when you could tell they were making a big cultural impact. I think another thing mm -hmm. the fast paced yeah. nature says about it is like is like we're just barreling through from one thing to the next because we want to deliver as much like crazy off the wall goodness to you guys as possible. Whereas nowadays it takes its it takes its uh, sweet time a little bit more uh, mm -hmm. to to build things up and to to build stronger characters and stuff like that um so i can i can certainly understand why i think i think what i mean when i say emotional connection is like for the fans of 
of like the, of like the golden age in the eighties, the emotional connection came from like the 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 whole the the whole experience, the whole yeah. package. I would um, I would agree with whereas, that. Whereas whereas now, go ahead. Oh no, I was just agreeing with your point there about the the whole kind of the whole thing. I yeah, think. no. Whereas whereas I think now when I when, when I'm talking about having a stronger emotional connection to things that I felt like watching the contemporary stuff, I think I'm talking about. Um, and like a deeper emotional connection to the individual sum of its parts rather than the whole. Mm-hmm. I so that that might be where that comes from too. Yeah. Um and yeah, it's 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 very it's it seems like a um just just this divide, this cultural uh this cultural shift uh in in you know this this little microcosm of the world. Mm-hmm. Um very um very unique in how it and how it kind of execute uh, executed itself. Mm-hmm. It's definitely it's definitely um, so yeah. So that's kind of the yeah. It's definitely a very different watch from trying to watch very, a show from today. Yeah. So so that so so kind of with that with all of that spoken of the the content itself um, for what there for uh, for what there was of it the 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 key standouts were uh, where we had. Uh, Randy Savage uh, up against um, uh, um, Honky Tonk. Honky Tonk. Yeah. Um, the Honky Tonk Man. Yep. Um, Honky Tonk Man being represented by by that clown in the in the heart tux, um, and Randy oh. Savage being represented <laughs> by poor Elizabeth. <laughs> oh God, that. That was that was a very. I mean, I mean, we. I I harped on this lot when we were watching, but just like poor Elizabeth, man. No, they. <laughs> like, they, they <laughs> Bobby Heenan was dragging her name through the mud all night long. I know, I know, and it was really and funny over, when you said he's over, manager, and over um, because I was. <laughs> like I, it's not like well, Elizabeth did it. Anything. Was funny when you said his manager. Mm-hmm. Not like a what. It's not like Elizabeth did anything that like Bobby Heenan is just jumping on to prove his own point to justify his own point. He's he's making up a whole fantasy of of Elizabeth secretly being in love with the honky tonk man, and that she kind of just real and she's kind of hoping that Randy Savage loses so she has an excuse to ride off in that pink Cadillac. Oh my God! See that 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 that's something that's something that I'm, I. So so Heenan is a is a manager to some of these big to these some of these big heels, but he's also an announcer. Yes, he he was kind of playing uh, both roles. I don't really know exactly why he did that that way. Probably just because he's a very entertaining personality, and they felt that he worked. And Jesse Ventura was the heel commentator in his spot at the time for a while, and then he Ventura left to go do make movies. Mm-hmm in Hollywood. And so they were looking for placement and Heenan was there and he's an, and he was always been a company man and he's a, and he is a, he's a character. I'll say that. So that I, that imagine was, I would imagine is a lot of their reasoning for like putting him in that announcer spot. So I'm surprised then I'm surprised then that, that they didn't do a similar thing with McMahon of like portraying him as like somebody's, somebody's manager or some like, some sort of babyface rep aside from just an announcer. Uh, I think that was really just, uh, that's truly what Vince McMahon wanted to do. Like I, like 
they they always say there, there's always stories about Vince McMahon wishing he had the physique and athleticism to be a wrestler himself. And but as as the as, uh-huh. as in the role of of being the owner of the WWF, he was pretty clear. He was like pretty clear that like this is what he wants to be as an on screen person, and that's it. And it wasn't until yeah. 1997, and when we, we this is not the time or place to talk about the Montreal screw job controversy. But I will say that there was a controversy from real bred, bred from real life drama in 1997 that bled into the into the show, and people like started to hate Vince McMahon as a person, even though at this point he wasn't necessarily the on screen boss. And so they decided to lean into that, and Vince McMahon took to the role uh, like a like a fish to water, and the fans ate it up. So they just kept going. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. But like, him, uh, but anyway, being the the color the play by play announcer was really as much as he really wanted to do on screen for a long for a large for a long period of time. Which is which is funny because because he also like inserted himself into that freaking music video at the end. Yeah, no, that was that was a little bit of a fun gag. Is he he'd do those kind of gags where he where he'd make sly little references to the fact that he has more power in this company than you would think he does. But he that's, they, that's they never they never they never explicitly for a long time did not explicitly say, uh, yeah, this is that he he's in charge here. In fact, as at this point in time, we, we didn't, they didn't, he didn't end up being relevant, but at the time they had a f- whole like fake president character, uh, president Jack Tunney. He was, he was on screen, the president of the WWF. And if any controversy happened, it was his job to, to show up and take care of business and, and, uh, punish who needed to be punished and do what needed to be done. What the yeah, hell? Yeah, it is extremely it's like some weird. Queen Amidala shit right there. No, yeah, he he was he was the, he was he was he was just a strictly <laughs> storyline <laughs> person in charge. He was the Kira Knightley to Vince McMahon's Natalie Portman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. I'm here for uh, oh Linda. God. I'm here for Linda McMahon killing the Tuscan Raiders. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Anyway, <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Um, yeah. <laughs> God, I got off track there. Um, but it was funny because what, what I imagine when you said like Savage's manager was something like "What's your face from last week?" Like you know the like the '80s version of it. So like instead of being like leather everything, like you know, kind of like a businesswoman sort of thing. Oh no. Um, no, no, no. She was in her very nice white dress. Yeah, yeah. She showed up on screen in a sequin dress, and I was like, mm-hmm. no. No, this is a very different. And, and they said Miss Elizabeth, and I was like, no. Yeah, which, which, I mean, it's like, kind of, there, there's not much to analyze there, what you said, what you said during the show, just like, you know, the, the innocent purity, whatever. Like she was the 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 bastion of goodness. She was the most good. She'd never done anything yeah. wrong. She'd never been mean or unkind. So, and 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 plus the fact that she's a woman and definitely not a wrestler in any capacity. 
Like she never gets in the ring and wrestle Mm-mm. ever. Not you know some of these other managers. Like okay, I I want I want an alternate reality where where Miss Elizabeth like goes on to become like the first like female superstar. <laughs> she gets like tough and grizzled. That would be that would be kind of hilarious to see just to see how that dynamic after would play out. after getting thrown around by honky tonk one too many times. Yeah, no. Like, it was just, like, people putting their hands on her was, like, the most disgusting thing you could do at this point in time. Well, yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's the, it's, it's, it's like the, uh, the, we respect women in mm-hmm. the, they are, they are sweet virginal things to be protected. And if any, anyone with blatantly, uh, impure, uh, intentions mm-hmm. should try to, uh, lay their hands on them, we shall eat them into the sun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a very it's a very basic it's a very basic uh basic thing morality thing they're playing here. You know, kind of reminds me of my high school girlfriend's dad. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, um, it's it, the the I mean the big talking point here is is her like because you were talking about during the pre-show of how savage would like of how savage would like throw her in front of opponents to like keep himself from getting hit right when this time she threw herself in front of honky tonk yes she uh, there was especially once savage especially especially when savage became the baby face and thus more likely to be the one in trouble from those dastardly heels beating him up there was definitely, there was definitely, you definitely yeah. every once in a while get a whole a real like Elizabeth will actually step in to protect her man and show that value. Her, her, I, her actual IRL husband. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was real shop up. Uh, even though at this point there wasn't any, there wasn't any explicit romantic undertones. I mean, there was like some sub, like, it reads a little romantic, especially when you see, especially when we're talking about uh, Savage's jealousy issues. Uh, as, but it wasn't like it was not. It was not supposed to be seen as explicitly that they are romantically inclined. It was. It was. Yeah, there was a professional relationship first, and romance kind of there for the sub yeah. kind of there subtextually for the fans to kind of buy into the idea of but not necessary but it wasn't as explicit yeah um i i just i just looked i just looked him up um they so they they were married from like 84 to 92 um yeah, they, um, yeah, they would actually get married on screen in 1991, both as a way to kind of revive uh, Savage's character, who at the time was kind of like going through a quasi-retirement. But also, uh, some IRL reasons, it was a little bit of a let's try to fix our marriage thing. Because at, by 1991, they're out, they're out of their uh, IRL relationship was falling apart. And so getting married oh, on no. almost tried a way to put a band-aid on it. It didn't work. But you know, they tried. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, based not to not to get too, anyway. Not to got to get too deep into this kind of gossipy drama, but yeah, basically it was like like as time went on, uh Macho Man's like jealousy and single minded and single minded like obsession with like keeping Liz to himself had finally had yeah. fr- finally fractured them enough that relationship enough to make her want to leave. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I got you. Um, yeah. Um, it, it the so she, so she steps in and gets and gets thrown down by by Honky, which we uh, see so, so many replays so of this in the head. Yeah, <laughs> with the guitar, and I think we see more replays of that than Savage getting hit with the guitar. Yeah, it's also funny is that like how much how little of a replays we get because like going as as you probably could have guessed is coming out of this show the most historically significant moment is you know is Hulk Hogan coming to the aid of Randy Savage and then instead of them coming yeah. to the rooms, they shake hands and suddenly they're a tag team together they're the mega powers so it's funny that like relative to this whole like El Cabong with a guitar and my, and uh, and getting thrown to the ground. They don't do they don't talk nearly as much about the the handshake. Yeah, no, they're just they're just fixating on that for some reason, and and seems that seems weird to me. Like that that seems like like um like trying to like like just like stretching the bit far too. Th- then I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Decided to like fixate on that when you literally have like gi- gigantic moment of Elizabeth going and getting uh um Hulk uh, yeah Hulk what? coming out uh, and tearing into tearing into Honky Tonk and and the Heart Foundation and then fi- coming to an agreement with Savage. Like it's the it's at this point in time it's the number one and number two superheroes in the in the company teaming up yeah. and, it, and it is not played uh, nearly as big a deal as you'd expect from if i said that sentence <laughs> yeah no it's which which the, the whole the whole air surrounding that was bizarre because because looking at last week when we had the 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 fake retirement thing mm-hmm. uh and and cena getting yeeted like that was that was played as huge everything about that was mm-hmm. gigantic like they yeah they played no, it you... a bunch and they just kept talking about it and it was like a build up throughout the whole show mm-hmm. and this it happens and then they have the interview at the end but other than that it's like we're moving on now <laughs> it doesn't even yeah get and, and and the interesting thing too is like it doesn't even get any time Go to ahead. breathe because they they do the handshake and then the very next match they air is Hulk Hogan versus Sika. So now we're moving on to Hulk mm-hmm. Hogan fighting the the Wild Savage for the championship. So there's not well, even again, like, that's a... there's not any real breathing room to talk about. Oh my God, Hogan and Savage putting aside their differences to team up. Well, that's the fast-paced nature of it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, which, which, like you know, again, we before before your brain is time to latch on to. Wait, this is stage. We're, we're moving on to the next thing, yeah. which makes it even more bizarre. They focus so heavily on Elizabeth getting brutalized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, and like and maybe gonna, that's. I wish I could tell you immediately where the storyline goes from this point, but I actually don't know. <laughs> Like this is this is kind of like a like at this point like the the mega powers thing at this point is a lot of um like them just like starting to work together as a, as a as a duo and starting to help each other out and occasionally having matches together like but the next big plot beat is actually the show we're going to talk about next time we do eighties stuff is the next big plot beat in that whole in that whole story yeah yeah. The, the next one, the most watched, that, that'll get us on like, a special. Ever. Yeah. Um, 
Um, but but the, the the thing is too, like even the interview they do at the end, it's it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a cultural moment. Like it does because like there are these two very larger than life people like interacting and they're doing this neurotic ass handshake thing. Oh, I don't know if I want to do it. I don't. Oh, oh I don't know if I want to do it. Like, it like, back in. It's like. But it's it's played it's but it's played almost as like the WWE version of a meet cute. The most like the most like big and triumphant moment of that to me almost it, it felt to me like the the biggest the biggest like epic moment of that was Elizabeth pulling Hulk out onto the onto the floor mm-hmm. and Hulk and and we get that shot of Hulk looking up and seeing the injustice that's happening in front of and his eyes and then this, leaping into the ring. That to me felt like the big moment. Yeah, which is also as I joked about. It's like, does Hogan not watch the show backstage? How does he not know what's going on right now? <laughs> like, why he he like he comes out. I mean, I mean, comes out confused why uh, Elizabeth is yeah is pulling him to the ring in desperation. And it's like, do you not know what's happening right now? <laughs> but but to be fair, that makes for that makes for a far better moment because yeah, it does when he realizes and he does like this- the film score. Ooh, he does his. He does his. Yep, you can almost. Life. You can almost. <laughs> yeah, he's got to go save the day. The fucking face. Yeah, no, you, know, you can almost hear like the the the, the epic film score underneath, like like the dun dun, like Avengers mm-hmm. is playing. Avengers is playing underneath, and like mm-hmm. and like just leaps in there. It, mm-hmm. it it even feels more so than than at the end of the match when he's holding up like. Savage's hand, like mm-hmm. that, like that's its own kind of rocky moment too. But like, but that moment where he gets brought out, that is like the cinematic money shot right there, it and is. it's the very first part of that kind of arc for the episode, which is mm-hmm. so interesting to me. But yeah, it is, it is definitely a, the money shot moment for of that whole scene of that whole scene. It's fantastic camera work, and 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 and, and weird to say, I, no, I, I see, I and weird to, and weird to say. If you've ever seen any of his movies, but great acting by Hulk Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's Hulk Hogan playing the character he plays best. Yeah, that's that's uh, not to talk Um, too deeply about Hulk Hogan's movie career, but that's also why that never worked out, really is ever is i think <laughs> you know every single goddamn movie it was hulk hogan playing hulk hogan <laughs> no matter what the scenario yeah, hulk hogan was, was better as a, as a gremlins as a as a gremlins cameo mm-hmm. but like now nah, thunder in paradise hulk hogan on a boat you know uh uh <laughs> santa with muscles hulk hogan as santa claus <laughs> you know oh my god santa the, with, mul- <laughs> with muscles <laughs> Uh, suburban Commando, Hulk Hogan, oh, no. Suburbia, <laughs> Three Ninjas, oh, Hulk my Hogan God. as a ninja. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, it's. I mean, to be fair, pr- probably a similar thing with like with uh, with Muscle Man Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the 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 role I know him for is Bone Saw McGraw in, in Spider Man. Oh yeah, he was Randy Savage was just kind of just doing himself on that one. Is oh, I got you for three minutes. Bone saw yeah, it's, it's ready. Yeah, 
uh, I mean, it's, yeah, uh, it, he he very much embraced the playing himself. Uh, no, absolutely. But but um but 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 again to that 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 beginning moment being the climactic one, I think again that speaks to that speaks to the fast paced nature of like instead of it being this narrative build up with a lot of like a lot of kind of like underlying emotions, um, we get the money shot to start to communicate to the audience something big's about to happen, and then they just plow forward through with it without a second thought. Yeah. Um, and this, and, and this is, and this, for someone, and I can I can understand. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say is like yeah is like this is not a story beat that was necessarily built to like this it, it kind of start like the whole arc starts right here it's not like they were teasing this idea of Hogan and Savage working together in any capacity before this 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 show it was more of it was like Savage was uh, getting even more pot continuing more popular as a good guy. But like this association with Hogan is, it was completely new at this show and it's even played that way is it's not, it's not Hogan coming to the aid of a friend. It's Hogan being asked to help because of this grave injustice and Hogan's sense of moral uh, justice having to step in. And it incidentally leads to Hogan and Savage deciding in the heat of the moment to work, to get, start working together. Yeah. And 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 I can understand why for a for a a like serious dedicated mm -hmm. fan of the time mm -hmm. how that how that could work, how it feels mm -hmm. like that could be a legitimate like um a legitimate way to play because hey, I don't think you need a lot of build up for that because we it, it it's well established who the hell Randy Savage is, who the hell Hulk Hogan are, how important both of them are. Mm -hmm. Um they fought in the past and that they've that they've that they've rivaled before they've um so i don't think you need much build up outside of just like bada bing bada boom all of a sudden this thing happened yeah. and wait we rise we can be friends now let's be why aren't we friends mm -hmm. like I, I i can understand how like how it feels like that would work mm -hmm. you know uh if you were invested in the in the in the week by week back then mm-hmm I think I think something else too is 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 like with the fast paced nature versus you know the contemporaries more like slow and in, you know introspective quote unquote for WWE. Mm -hmm. um, it, the the latter maybe another reason I you know I prefer at least for now the contemporary style is like uh, it feels more accessible to um, to a newer viewer. It gives you time to catch mm -hmm. up. Whereas this it doesn't it doesn't like puts around with with any with anything with any like. Um, hardcore playing catch up or anything like that. It just barrels you through. No, it, um, that's, that's something that WWE will focus on a lot more as time goes on is, is this idea of like, you gotta like updating, keep like treating it like this could be someone's first show in that sense of like, yeah, what, like, I don't like if someone watching the show has no idea of any of these characters or any of this backstory, like making it so that they can at least follow the biggest plot beats, if if not every plot beat, and that's so that's something that do, that WWF just didn't do a whole lot of last time. Is if you look back then, is like you look at I've I've watched every WrestleMania, so I can say this for sure, is that you watch these earliest WrestleManias and they don't explain shit, like they just. So these maps they had put they have these big match feud ending matches on there, but they don't tell you jack shit except for like the biggest like Hogan like the Hogan matches. They don't tell you like 
oh yeah, this is what this guy was. This is why they're fighting. This is what this is what this guy said, and this guy did this thing. Like no, they're like fuck it. Who cares? Like fuck you. <laughs> Just roll with it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so yeah, no, I I can definitely I can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Um and and it almost it. It's it's kind of its own version of cerebral in that sense, mm-hmm. um, where where it's so jam packed with very little explanation, you just kind of have mm-hmm. to like hop on the train for dear life and and mm-hmm. hold on. You you just, um, just got to roll with it when so they yeah, so have yeah so this, we had that when they have you, you just got to roll with it when they have this Samoan dude, you know, per, t- per faking eating a chicken. <laughs> Yeah, and and uh, an unplucked chicken, um, and, and has two handlers, um, which, which like, wh- why two, and why is one of them the the Brooklyn brawler in a, hidden behind a mask? Um, that I, I would assume was one is kimchi was I think created for this character. I think that's like he was, yeah. designed, and then he would come back to do Kamala when Kamala would come into WWE, but then, but uh, Mr. Fuji was just kind of like a manager of the time. Like uh, we, we got to meet a few of them at the, during on this show, but in this time in WWE, like having a manager was a huge thing. Like they, they had a fuckload of managers having who have clients and talking for people. And, and that's, that's been phased out. Based on, um, I think Vince. I mean, we, we saw some ideas, examples of it. We do, but it's definitely not as as pervasive to the show as it is. Now, yeah, as it is, and so yeah, no, like like la- like last week the, the the biggest the biggest uh the biggest example was like Del Rio's little like li- little like Lafu, um, right? Ricardo, Ricardo, yeah. Who announced for him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but or it, like or like CM Punk's lawyer that he fires halfway through. Yeah, but and like that's just the way it goes now. Is that um and I I've always assumed this is a Vince McMahon thing, but I guess who knows? Is this is this general idea at least of like wanting guys to be able to stand on their own and talk on their own? Because that was the big reason they uh, had managers in the first place. Is that you know you get these big muscly guys in here. That doesn't mean they're inherently charismatic. <laughs> that doesn't mean they're inherently like charismatic and good at playing a character on television. And it's like, well, we don't want the audience to think they're boring. So we're going to have these managers. They're going to do all the talking. They're going to tell the story. They're going to be the interesting character. And so that the big giant muscly guys can just be that because they're not good at talk. They're not good at the Which interview is- stuff. <laughs> Which is funny because, um, because, um, uh, Sika felt like the most, like, he, it looked, his, his, like, in-ring work looked the most real mm-hmm. to me. Like, it looked like he was just a straight athlete, uh, who was doing a bit because that's what the company, like, makes him do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's, like, actually just kind of, like, a strong dude who's going out there to have a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, was, which was really Sika, interesting. Sika was a pretty solid wrestler in his day, for sure. So, so it, it does, it, it does, I think maybe lend some credence to like, you know, if you can, you can hire like, um, nowadays the, the focus seems to be more on hiring like, like, um, actor athletes who, mm-hmm. 
who can do a bit of both, but like back then the the um presence of managers who could kind of take up some of the talking, maybe that maybe that like allowed a bit more focus on the athleticism for the um for the uh the wrestlers themselves, and that's mm-hmm. maybe why to me some of the stuff looked more real. Mm-hmm. And it was all it was also I think that's a product of its time of of uh, wrestling as an a- athletically has developed a lot as you wouldn't know as you saw from eighty seven to twenty thirteen mm-hmm. the way um, wrestling had developed as an in ring like style and fight and it's and this is more of an era of it's not necessarily yeah. it doesn't look more real in the sense that like all of their punches and shit are still fake as hell but. Um, yeah, but but it's but, but it's, it's more it's more focused on like stuff you might try in a fight. Like there's not a whole lot of like real yeah. wrestling maneuvers, and there's not a lot of acrobatics and athletics that you would see in a more modern show. It's it's a lot of straightforward is is I call them punching and kicking fests because that's that's mostly what they're yeah. doing in there. <laughs> it's it. it it feels like it feels a bit less choreographed. I think um, that's a great at least, word at least to me. <laughs> um, like like the most choreographed feeling things were like is like any time one wrestler will like flip the other in a somersault over their back or something. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the the, uh, like the, the, sell- most, like, the selling of moves is still insanely silly as well. As you're talking about ways that it looks fake sometimes, but but, but sometimes sometimes it. Sometimes they, I feel like, I feel like, and maybe it's like the lack of close-ups and stuff because like, because there are a lot of close-ups now when like, when like someone gets a, gets like a bad, like a bad hit or, you know, bad hit put on them. They'll give a close-up and the person just, and and we see like, you know, their fake pain face, but, but Mm -hmm. from the camera work here, I don't think it was as intense on that. And so you could feel the hits and then you didn't see like the reaction being fake. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were able to sell the physicality of it, I think a little better to, to make it come off mm-hmm. a little more like gritty yeah that's that's a fair that's a fair take camera the camera the style of camera work has def also been the thing that has changed over time it's it, it was i i kind of noticed that because it, it had some similarities of kind of like some of the movement you know how like the dynamics of the of the camera and all that mm-hmm. um but there but there were things that felt different too like a lot more folk and, and again part of this is because because the focus on managers, there's a bit more mm-hmm. of a focus on like what's going on outside of the ring, um, and the close-ups came more for like during the in after the impact, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Uh, but 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 brilliantly, it kind of it kind of lends its own lends its own style and its own sense of realism to it. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm here for it. Oh yeah, I I am as well. It it it's kind of nice. Is it like I don't talk a little bit about um about like the wrestling I watch right now? Is that like I've is you've seen a modern WWE production and um mm-hmm. I gotta say is it something that I like a lot? Is is I, I as I watch New Japan Pro Wrestling and one and they have completely different style of camera mm-hmm. work and the big thing for them is actually there's not a lot of cuts. Or like there is, but you see a lot. If you if you watch, if you really look at it in WWE, like almost every like major impact has a camera cut to a different angle. And mm-hmm. in New Japan, that's not the same way. They let they like for big moments, they let the they let the camera stay on it and like let you feel the impact that way. And this kind of felt a little bit like that. Felt a little more reminiscent to, to like what I see with New Japan now. 
is there's is that it's not as it's like like you can like they let they let the shot linger on hits and then that way it kind of yeah makes it uh feel i think a little less fake and a little more engaging that but that's just me <laughs> no no I, I i think i agree i mm-hmm. it's it's kind of that it's it's kind of that like again the the rough and the rough around the edges versus mm-hmm. the the very neat and polished mm-hmm. um I think the kind of link, the, the lack of fast cuts, the lingering, the whatever, mm-hmm. um, kind of pushes it, pushes the envelope on that a little bit. Whereas, whereas contemporary doesn't do that as much. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, also, real quick, you want you wanted to talk about, uh, you wanted to since you didn't really get to during the pre-show, you wanted to talk about King Kong some. Um, that was a little bit of a of a joke in the sense that like King Kong Bundy's not a super major player on this sh- in this show or at this time anymore. Oh. But but I I it is is always kind of fun to see some of these older wrestlers that are kind of like regarded as legends, but they are not they weren't like the biggest stars in their own time, and just kind of see it's kind of fun to see some of these characters because especially at this time in WWE like because the cartoony characters was their jam. There is a lot of soup of super mm-hmm. memorable characters from this time period. And we, we didn't, we don't, there's so many from mm-hmm. this era that I can think of to be like, Oh dude, it's so like, I'd really love watching them that you didn't get to see on this show. Um, and Bundy's always kind of funny to me. Cause he's, he's, he's kind of generic as a big guy, but I don't know. He's always had this charm about him that I've liked. He's not my favorite or anything, but I always kind of like King Kong Bundy a little bit. He, he again, it's it's kind of a similar thing to Sika, where like he doesn't do much talking. He just kind of goes and he does his fight, and he's damn good at it. Mm-hmm. And he's and he's a big dude, and and even though he's not like talking talking, there's still like clearly a sort of um, a sort of pathos to him as he like mm-hmm. you know goes and consults with uh, with with Andre who comes out uh, mm-hmm. during the match and stuff like that. Which I did not know he did that because because again I haven't watched this show. So, uh, the most is I saw the results on the Wikipedia page, so I did not know that Andre came out on this show. And that was, yeah. was kind of nice. Which, it was cool. It was cool that he did. Mm-hmm. I always forgot that he was around like for that long. No, he yeah he's he was in wrestling he for like twenty years. And and one sometime I need to yeah. go back and watch some old Andre stuff because like by the time he got big in WWE like but by the time we hit here he's already like he physically is losing it like he can still move technically yeah, he's but he's slowing down he can't you know mm-hmm. uh, you, if you watch some Andre match some of his old long his like old his newest <laughs> matches I guess if you say it like that some of his last matches like a big way they build around like he is so like in pain and struggling he has to lean against the ropes the most of the match and the other wrestlers have to work around that but like andre in his prime is is super nimble for someone who is seven foot tall 500 pounds and that's always something that fascinated me to look at but i've just never really taken the time to do so and it's not always easiest to find because he, uh, because, it, it, because stuff wasn't as well televised he, when Andre was in his prime. So there's a lot less mm-hmm. there, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm, it is. Which which it's which the which the other really the other really interesting thing too is like 
is like he's also like he also seemed kind of clearly overwhelmed in that environment like like because mm-hmm. he was walking back through the crowd you could tell he looked worn out and like as like fans especially like, there were a lot of like kids up against like the rail that were like kind of like reaching out to him he just kind of like mm-hmm. waved him off and kept yeah he, like he just um, can't he can't which he is can't, he can't really like interact he's he, he's like he's just barely got enough energy right now to do what he has to do which for in this match was basically walk out there stand and then grab uh, Paul Orndorff at the end, <laughs> which which is really funny because um, because as we were talking about during the show, this this show was taped like a little bit before Princess Bride came out, and then premiered like a little bit after the movie like premiered. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that, like we have a slightly more active Andre, who by all accounts was just an absolute cinnamon roll to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to be so here for, it, and he's going to be like, a heel the, for at least another year or two from this point on. Like I don't remember exactly wait, how much longer did he go on rest. How? Um, how, I think how he officially go on with the company. He officially retired, I believe, in 1991. But he is well, be- he is well beyond being a regular wrestler. He is very much in a I'm going to do the big matches kind of wrestler. But he's still a heel character for at least another year. Uh, bec- I don't remember exactly when he uh, goes back. He he finishes his career as a babyface, but I don't remember when exactly. Yeah, but like as I like he has a future. Yeah. Which has- again, I was kind of wondering if like he has two more matches with Hogan. One of which is we've already set up to be to watch, and one of them we'll probably never watch because I don't like because yeah. the show that he did it on is terrible and long. Oh, yeah. but like we still um, have a Hogan Andre match to watch at this point in time. <laughs> Jesus, it's it's uh, which again I kind of wondered out loud during the thing if like his his like superstardom had uh, played a role in his like turning face at the very tail end of his career, just so like he could go out on a high note. Um, I'm not sure, or that could have played a part in it, or it might've just been a, you know, Andre's been a, a baby face most of his career. And we, uh, we know that he is running out of time. So let's, let's just go ahead and let it yeah. we, now that his story with hope, basically Hogan was his only major heel feud. Like as soon as he, as soon as he was kind of done being uh, Hogan's ultimate giant to slay, he went back to being the baby face. Yeah. And so like, once that wrapped up, they're like, well, let's just go ahead and make him a, make him a, a good guy again. Cause people want to cheer for Andre. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's, it's, mm-hmm. um, it, even, even just that small little clip was kind of like heartbreaking to watch. Cause, mm-hmm. cause again, you can, as you point out, as soon as you point out, he was slowing down. I was like, oh shit, you're right. Um, but still it's, it's very interesting that like, that, uh, he had like this, this happened right around the time that like the movie that like uh, now makes him uh, known by everybody. He had like this this happened right around the time that like the movie that like now makes him known by everybody in the modern day came mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And that's so funny that that has like, become like, such, like, a, yeah. such a big part of his legacy. I mean it's kinda it's it is kind of cool though, because because mm-hmm. like because again it it um 
uh, he he kind of now gets to be remembered in a lot of ways as this like um uh this this kind of like sweet gentle giant cinnamon roll mm-hmm. uh with how he kind of presented himself yeah yeah i mean i mean it's um, it's kind of it's that, hard yeah. like like people remember that he fought hogan but like the fact that he was this villainous monster isn't really mm-hmm. as, as remembered as well outside of like the wrestling fans <laughs> yeah what's kind of cool Mm-hmm. Uh, I think at least. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so th- that those are kind of I th- I think I think those were kind of all like the the big memes of the of the match. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's um, like I said, the kind of segment in nature makes it uh, makes it very different to talk about because like instead of kind of combing through it as like a whole cohesive narrative like we did last week, we're mm-hmm. just kind of touching on like segment by segment. Um, yeah, um, uh, I do want I do want to throw out there monster. that that uh, the uh, pile driver music video was a trip. <laughs> oh God, that music video! Yeah, like, d- quick question, I guess about stuff like that. Like, like was does WWE just like throw out like random like experiments in like new pop culture in like engaging in new sections of pop culture like that every once in a while, or was that kind of like a more like standalone thing or um every once in a while it's not it's not very big and it mostly comes during their these boom periods they don't really try the like they don't try these kind of ventures except when they're at their most popular but they released two albums during this time period they will do another one in like 2002 that is even worse (laughs) (laughs) so And it's and the but these music videos are this album these two albums anyway the the, in the two thousand two one fully original songs written for the wrestlers to sing and they suck but for this song for this for these albums is like of some stuff that is like character driven and some of it is like covers of popular music at the time like uh mean gene (laughs) okerlund who's the uh who's the uh interviewer guy that we saw like he sings rock and roll hoochie coo by rick derringer (laughs) and there oh yeah okay and and Jimmy Hart, uh, he writes music actually, and he write and he was writing a lot of the songs from this time period, and he sings a song about oh, how, he sings a song about how he's way cooler than Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield ain't shit. Um, like um, Roddy, Roddy Piper sings a song called "Fuck Everybody," but you know, PG. Oh God. Like it's absolutely bizarre to see these albums, just to listen to these this music. It's so not good. Does, but they, I, I mean, at least some of them were good singers. Yeah, but some of them aren't, and they get put here anyway. <laughs> did, did, did we ever get Hulk Hogan doing a power bond? Well, yes and no. In that, not on these albums. He barely sings at all. He has like maybe one line across two albums, <laughs> even though they plaster his okay. face on the cover. But oh yeah, Hulk Hogan has his own musical album called Hulk Rules, and he sings on the whole damn album. <laughs> <laughs> he sings. He sings every song. He raps a bunch 
It's all terrible. <laughs> oh no no! It's 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 a thing that oh, happened. That. That's the best I can say. It's a thing that happened. Oh, I gotta listen to that. Oh, oh god, we should at okay. some point because it is, oh, it is an absolute uh, trip of an album where you get to hear Hogan yeah, well, sing, well, well, well. you get to hear his wife sing, you get to hear Jimmy Hart sing. You get to hear the whole Hogan family—the <laughs> Von Hogan family. Thing. Yep, it's uh, terrible. Because <laughs> oh Hogan's not much of a singer or a rapper, yeah. you might have expected. So we're definitely going to have to cover that for an episode at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh boy! Oh god! Well, I think that's a brilliant brilliant note to leave this episode on. Oh yeah, so the Hulk Rules album. <laughs> the Hulk Rules album. Again, um, another 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 crazy bit of shenanigans for yeah. our, for our uh, audience to look, look yeah, forward to. And also, and oh yeah, and, and if it's not, I'm sure it's not surprising to hear, but pretty much every song on the album is about how awesome Hulk Hogan is. <laughs> there's not what? a lot of, there's No, not a I would have thought they would be like there's not a whole lot of variety in terms of what he was. I was, I was, I was, I was envisioning like transcendental meditations on like on uh, the nature of the universe. Nope. A philosophical deep dive into the human condition. Uh, you see, I, I, I see. I want to. Yeah, I kind of want to see someone. Uh, it's like you take someone else's deep dive into the human condition, and then Hulk Hogan reads it. <laughs> it's it's the opposite of the of the of the rpg character i made of like mm-hmm. of, of cyborg yep. uh scott steiner yes actually 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 you know you know what here's here's gonna be my challenge to myself when when we eventually when we eventually cover the hulk rules album i'm going to find into a piece of philosophical genius I'm it, going to challenge myself. I will find gonna, a way. You're gonna find something real deep in in this in these in these songs. It's like it's like it's like oh god, we're getting slightly inside jokey here. But it's like yeah. it's like um, I can't remember. If, wait, I I think it was one two friends, but I can't remember exactly. I just remember hearing someone talk about how they were at a drunk PowerPoint party, um, and they were like a film student, and somebody like gave a drum analysis of the room. Um, I wasn't here with for like this. with like legitimate. I well, I was I wasn't here for it either. But like, it's a story I've heard. And it was either like one of our friends, or it was like Lindsay Ellis, mm-hmm. um, or it was like or something like no no no. I actually no, I think it was like a rando like Tumblr post or so, something like that. Um, but you know, like somebody at a drunk PowerPoint party like did a legitimate like film analysis of the room using like all the stuff they like learned from film class. And then the person like watching realized that like film analysis is bullshit. <laughs> Incredible. Um, yeah, this is a so that's good. That's, I'm going to destroy music analysis by so, yeah. by reading philosophy into a yeah <laughs> into Hulk Hogan. Anyway, so yes, this has been Anywho, no, so uh, this, uh, this actually went a little longer than I expected it to. From I wasn't sure we'd get like an hour I mean, minutes solid, out of it. Solid three hours. Solid three-hour session. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I feel like this is a good time to be like, what are we going to do next time? But I also don't totally know. Is I have I have a few thoughts. I, th- I thought next time we were gonna do the we were gonna do the big one. I thought I thought we were gonna do the big one next time. Yeah, you know, I guess we should is to kind of continue the arc. I was um, when I thought this was one episode, mm-hmm. uh, I was gonna be. I had I was not totally sure where we'd go next is because I have a few ideas. Is like um, kind of WWE in the nineties to kind of bring us full circle here hey. on the different types and the different uh, evolutions of WWE. I was thinking maybe we hit a little. I've 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 no, it's, I've, I've intent. We've kind of kept it unintentionally, mind you. Uh, it's kind of been. This is kind of like a very tame uh, time of wrestling, uh, and especially paired off with this like '80s goofball family cut kid friendly cheese that is this era of wrestling to kind of jump mm-hmm. into uh, some of the uh, the hardcore wrestling times. Get get a little violent with the re- with uh weapons and also i've been talking up a ladder match the oh. ladder match especially the ladder match thought is a bit oh. those are really fun to kind of bring that in there but it's hard because most of those are on pay-per-view and i and i don't know if we're up to a time to really do a pay-per-view um in terms of a time to watch but i i'll, I, I'll think about it and see and think and i see. leave it up to you yeah and eventually, and eventually yeah. of course, we're gonna. I'll, I want to do Lucha Underground because uh, that is what maybe my favorite yes. wrestling show ever. One, two, it it requires zero explanation. It is its own cell. It is its own uh, continuity with with references to Pat to the past for these rest to the wrestlers' past. But like going forward, not mm-hmm. all the story there. What's happening there is all that happens. Yes. So it's much and more interesting to yes. follow. Yes, I'm. I'm- Oh, I'm so hyped for Lucha Underground. <laughs> it is absolutely an insane ride and one of my favorites. But yeah. Um, Brilliant. That is totally for next time, whenever that ends up being. So, mm. this is Austin uh, signing Thank you off. all for watching. Thank you all for watching. And this is David signing off. Mm-hmm. Bye. Austin.